Hi there, and thanks for joining us for another episode of Architects of Change, a podcast brought to you by Mambu, the cloud banking platform to help you evolve your business. I'm your host, Emma Lindley, co-founder of Women in Identity. In this episode, we're going to be chatting about cybersecurity, and we're going to discuss how organizations balance customer experience alongside security. We're going to be talking about education and initiatives that should be considered when using and innovating modern technology. I'm thrilled to say I'm going to be chatting to someone who can unpick this topic more than most. Bronwyn Boyle, Chief Information Security Officer at Mambu. Hi, Bronwyn. Hi there, Emma. It's great to join you today. I'd be super interested to understand a bit about your career and what led you to become a Chief Information Security Officer at Mambu. Was this always a subject, like a passion of yours and a subject area that you were, you, you know, you were always interested in? So it's a very interesting question, Emma, because I'd say the answer is no. I was quite a late adopter, actually, compared to many, many more technical folks in my field. My background, actually, I studied classics in university, which is possibly the exact opposite of kind of the future forward cyber world. But um, I I did some computer science postgrad work and that got me into programming and I really, really enjoyed the coding and development side of of IT. So I started my career uh, really kind of in the first wave of digital banking, coding online banking applications back in the kind of the dot com era. Um, and that really piqued my interest in security because obviously you were, I was starting to see firsthand how, you know, the security of applications was so intrinsic to supporting, you know, ever increasing use of digital application. So I pivoted then to security, uh, took some time out to study and, and I've been working in various different elements of, of cyber, cyber risk, information risk, privacy and compliance ever since. So I've been delighted to be able to work with some really great organisations, including big four companies. Um, I've worked with a couple of the UK's leading banks, uh, a number of startups and regtechs. And uh, I've also been delighted to support the open banking implementation entity over the last few years as as we've been growing uh, the approach to open banking across the UK. And now I'm here at Mambu and I'm delighted to be helping support make a difference to a huge range of customers across the world who are using our services for digital cloud adoption. Absolutely love that. That was from classics to deep cyber security in like less than 60 seconds. That was awesome. So huge amounts of experience of this subject matter of of cyber security. So what are some of the biggest or the macro threats you see in the cyber security space today? So I think it's becoming ever more important and and that is, you know, very well recognised as we see the effects proliferate, you know, quite broadly. I don't know if you were aware, but last year there was a fairly major uh, internet security incident called Log4Shell. It was the biggest internet vulnerability uh, in the history of the internet. And, um, you know, many folks around the world and security researchers were working really hard to keep uh, online services safe. And that for me was a really a really um, powerful moment of truth kind of to show the pervasiveness of the internet now to our daily lives and how important it is to maintain that security and maintain the safety of the services that we now rely on that are internet-based. Um, so from my perspective, I think looking at that interconnectivity and looking at how the threat landscape has changed, 
the elements of uh, open source code, the elements of software development and software security are now vital to make sure that we can withstand threats from an increasingly adversarial threat landscape, be that cyber criminals who are looking to drive financial gain or disruptors. I mean, we've seen a lot of um, nation state activities that have been more focused around disruption. The Ukraine and Russia conflict, which is terrible to see ongoing, has also um, driven increased cyber threats that we've had to respond to. Um, and obviously things like ransomware are ever present as, as, a, as a money making scheme for those who are uh, more nefariously inclined. But th these sort of um, impacts can, can really cripple a business. And again, I think harking back a few years to some of the ransomware threats that we saw, we saw the NHS very badly hit um, with an Apeche attack back in 2017. And it's a really stark example of how, you know, something that maybe was not intended to hit a national health service could still proliferate and bring a service to its knees. So I think su supply chain threats and, and ransomware remain very much on our on our radars as, as kind of key threats. One of the other really important um, elements to think about from a threat perspective, which often goes uh, maybe less noticed, is the idea of business email compromise. And that's where cyber criminals take over an individual's email account and they use that to scam or extort money out of in individuals or companies. So they can pose as legitimate suppliers and indeed big companies, big tech companies, sophisticated companies like Facebook when they were before they were meta um, and, and, and also Google saw, saw some of that, that kind of type of um, business email compromise fraud where, you know, criminal actors posed as vendors and got millions of dollars of, of invoices before that was discovered. On the flip side, you've got individuals who are being contacted by scammers. They may lose their life savings. And I think it's a really important element. It falls slightly outside organizational perimeters. It's much more on end users and end customers. And that's why it's often neglected. But it is a multi-billion dollar business for criminals. And it's something that can be absolutely devastating for, for the individuals who are victimized. So I think it's an area I, I certainly feel very passionate about doing more to protect. Yeah, I think identity is right at the edge of the perimeter, isn't it? You know, that's um, and obviously that's the the area digital identity that, that I come from. So I um, absolutely agree with you there. If you were to predict what you think is going to be happening in the future, what would you imagine the some of those areas that you think are going to, you know, are going to develop more of? You know, you've talked about supply chain ransomware, um, you know, business compromise. Well, it's really interesting that you brought up identity, Emma. And I think that idea of like, you know, an individual's identity being the new perimeter, I think is exactly where we're going um, as an industry and, and, and as, as a kind of as technology evolves with so many organizations now choosing to host data in the cloud and use cloud-based services, that idea, and also with remote working indeed, that idea of going to an office with a data center and a perimeter that you can secure is, is very kind of archaic and, and we've really moved on from that. So the idea of having, you know, remote workers around the globe accessing servers that services that may be hosted anywhere across the globe has very much shifted that paradigm of security. Um, so I think, you know, there's going to be increased focus on identity as the key hub uh, of, of, of supporting access. 
paradigms like zero trust where you move to this continuous verification it's no longer okay just to trust that somebody inside inside a perimeter is is safe and and, and authorized to access services instead we're, we're switching to that paradigm of continuous verification using using um, indicators like geolocation device metrics biometrics to continuously authorize and authenticate identities I think that's that's probably where we're going and where we need to continue to go um, it's also interesting, you know, there's a lot of debate about blockchain and obviously we're, we're in, you know, a new crypto winter, arguably there's, there's a lot of volatility in the market there, but I think blockchain does offer some interesting opportunities to solve for some of the, con- the conversations and questions around things like software integrity, supply chain kind of verification as well. Now that obviously comes at kind of high computational cost levels. Um, and I, I think again, we're probably still only tapping into some of the opportunities that, that that technology can provide, but we need to look at how that can happen at scale and how that can happen, you know, within a reasonable, uh, a reasonable kind of operational cost envelope, I guess. Um, and I would also say, um, you know, the other piece that's, that's kind of looming on the horizon is the whole idea of quantum cryptography. So we've seen really exciting step changes in the application of quantum crypto. And I think it's really being heavily invested in now. Obviously, it's a kind of a bit of an arms race to see where that will go and who will choose to adopt it first. I mean, that will significantly change the landscape of the encryption that we all know and rely on right now. So it'll be very interesting to see how we can use that to to, to more accurately defend and and, and and protect assets that are now, now safeguarded in, in a cryptographic form. And then finally, I would just say uh, AI and machine learning. You know, we continue to see great developments from the whole artificial intelligence applications. Um, And again, they can be very helpful in helping to, you know, crunch through masses of amounts of data that might be giving organizations insight into what's going on within their, their technology estates and kind of help that signal to noise ratio. Uh, what I would also say is the flip side is that the um, you know, the bad guys and the attackers are are also using AI machine learning. And, you know, we touched on business email compromise earlier. I mean, that's a really interesting case where they're using AI and, and uh, machine learning to kind of really synthesize and understand and emulate an individual's voice, tone of voice, tone of writing to more accurately kind of impersonate them and, and to craft very convincing uh, to convincing attacks. So very, it's always interesting to see kind of how any step change in technology can be used both for good, but also on the on the cyber criminal side to kind of get a head start. Um, and it'll be very, uh, very telling over the next few years as we see how that, uh, that continues to evolve. Lots and lots of technological change, um, you know, and advancement. Um, you know, absolutely, I agree with you, tools and weapons. When we think about from a customer perspective, particularly from an, you know, an identity perspective and, you know, identities being at the, the perimeter, we're also talking about humans, not just technology, you know, absolutely humans and how they interact with that technology. So how in, in your really vast experience how do we create secure experiences for customers but really optimizing those customer experiences as well when we've got all of these new threats and threat vectors that are emerging 
It's a really great question. And, you know, I, I love your focus on, on individuals, right? Because at the end of the day, there's always somebody at the other side of a computer somewhere. And, you know, often as technology evolves very quickly, we, we can tend to forget that. Um, and I'm a you know, big advocate of making sure that, you know, we're not leaving customers behind. We're not we're not putting unnecessary barriers or kind of confusing um, obstacles in their way, particularly as, you know, the pace of digital change evolves so quickly. It's a steep learning curve and that learning curve is getting steep all the time so what I would say is I think two things one is um, making sure that that you know we are looking at how to streamline security controls into processes in in a kind of as as frictionless a way as possible and very much aligning those controls with the risk profile of the activities that are being carried out a great example of that is in online banking and mobile banking you know the idea of kind of step up controls step up security that increases the, uh, the, the the burden and the onus of authentication or authorization along with the uh, risk of the activities that are being carried out you know i don't necessarily need to provide my full um, banking pin or banking one-time password if i just want to kind of get read access to my balance but if i want to create a new payee on my bank account you know it's 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 great to be able to be given prompts to say okay now you need to provide extra input extra authentication you know use your biometrics on your mobile phone use your one-time passwords that are that are randomly generated through 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 keys etc so i think that idea of kind of step up control is a great way of you know trying to ease controls into user journeys in a way that makes sense to them it, it doesn't it doesn't seem counterintuitive and it, it helps kind of think raise awareness of the risk profile to the end customer as well. I think on that as well, I think the other area that's worth thinking about is how we make increasing use of some of the biometric technologies that are already embedded in our mobile apps. So again, people are comfortable using that type of technology on their mobile phone. There's great progress being made with um, industry groups now who are looking to see how they can take those sort of biometrics and seamlessly integrate them into user experiences, again, as a type of step-up control, but one that hopefully would minimise any noise and interruption for users. And I think that's a, that's a great paradigm, I think, to kind of make sure that users are more comfortable moving forward. The third element I'd say as well is um, some of those in-the-moment messaging that you can provide for your customers. And again, Obviously, coming from a banking background, I'm, I'm probably more familiar with, with some of those types of controls, but a great step forward has been in confirmation of payee. I'm sure you'll have seen this yourself if, you, if you've been online banking over the last while. Um, there's now facility that will match the name of the account person that you're looking to pay with the account number that you've given them. And if there's a disconnect there, so if you want to pay Bob and Bob's account number is X, you know, 12345, if the account that you're paying into doesn't match Bob's name, you'll now get that notification. And this is a really, really great step forward, particularly in helping against scams, because if somebody is pretending to be somebody they're not and the account number doesn't match, you will now see that and you'll have an opportunity to review that you know, as you're making transactions. So, yeah, I think I think those sort of in the moment controls, increased use of kind of seamless and frictionless step up controls, I think will really help drive better user understanding, but also drive kind of faster throughput and better customer experience. And who would you say is from a information security, kind of that customer experience, who would you say is doing it really well right now? There was a recent um, a recent announcement by Meta that they're looking to now support inline payments on Instagram. And I think that's a real game changer. And it's, it's a really interesting example of where, you know, a number of different innovations and kind of changes in security control have been stitched together to now support and allow 
that type of um, payment option within within social media apps. You know, Meta will be leveraging, you know, customers' existing comfort factor and familiarity with their authorization mechanisms on their own phones um, and their understanding of how they interact with the Instagram app and then allowing that to take to the next step further and, and, and make end-to-end payments, which is a real, a real game changer, I think, for the industry um, and a real game changer for also for incumbent, <laughs> incumbent financial services providers because it's demonstrating, again, that those payment opportunities are really kind of proliferating in new and varied forms. The flip side, I would say as well, is though, I mean, you know, security is such it's it's more than a hygiene factor now right it is an existential requirement for for pretty much any business nearly all businesses are digital businesses um and i think you know again it, it's it's been very interesting to see increased pressure in the us to make sure that there are board level um, subject matter experts who can advise on cyber and who can help companies to to kind of really ensure that that's very firmly on the leadership's um, horizon. Uh, likewise, there's also kind of increased increased scrutiny around reporting of cyber incidents and events. And I think that just tells us as well, you know, nobody gets this 100% right. It's always a learning journey. Um, and it's really important to kind of keep transparent and make sure that we're keeping the customer's best interests at heart. We've touched a little bit on some of the new methods that we're putting in front of customers. Um, and if I think about, you know, in the UK, we've got open banking, we've got PSD2SCA, you know, they all require new security methods like biometrics and, and one-time passcodes. You've talked about some of the things and ways in which we can help people understand and and you know put prompts in front of them having step up control in the moment messaging what are some of the other ways that we can get customers to understand some of these new security methods and enable them to stay secure I think your your point is super valid. I mean, I think there are steep learning curves, as we've touched on. And that view of the kind of the digital divide, I think, is something that we need to think, think of at a kind of society level. I mean, I think um, some of the, you know, digital natives may, may not struggle with these new types of control, but people who may be less familiar with online technology, who may be, you know, less comfortable using online apps or mobile apps, there's a real risk that those folks get left behind or that we need to kind of cater for them from a security perspective in, in a different way that is more inclusive and is more aligned with with kind of how how they perceive and how they interact with online services. So I think that's something I feel needs a lot of focus and attention, um, particularly just as kind of that the risks of digital inequality are kind of, you know, manifesting more clearly. Um, I think the other piece as well is, you know, there's my time at Open Banking was a really, really uh, insightful opportunity to see where the industry was changing and where where there were those maybe friction points or or kind of maybe um, understanding gaps, shall we say, in, in the in the in the broader uh, customer base. Um, and we really had uh, had some great initiatives to see how we could better support them, including just providing consistent customer messaging. So I think with the panoply of different payments opportunities now comes a vast variety in different types of security messaging. And if you look back many years ago, you know, the first advent of on- online banking, there was a real push at an industry level to consolidate around messaging around fraud because it very quickly became clear that without you know that type of dedicated education and consistent messaging fraud losses would really really hurt the online banking proposition and customer trust would erode i think that really drove great collaboration and great consistency of messaging so people knew don't give away your password don't give away kind of your 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 pin details you know make sure that you keep those safe and secure Again, with new payment channels coming in, 
um, and new opportunities to interact online, there are new mechanisms and, and new requirements for customers to keep other types of data safe or to keep aware for other types of scam. And I think what we're missing right now maybe is that very harmonized and very consistent user messaging at an industry level. I agree with all of that. I think, um, you know, one of the other things is um, when we think about, you know, you and I, um, we think about a lot of the people that are working within the, you know, within the digital space, within the security space, within the digital identity space. We're also not representative necessarily of of the you know of the population, and um, I think having that um, empathy for the user really, as you say, putting them at the heart of of everything that we do, all users. Um, will really enable us to think about, you know, the challenges that they and the the ways in which we can help educate them around some of these topics, rather than just assuming perhaps the user is, um, you know, is like us. Yeah, that's a great point, Emma. And I think you've you've touched on again just something that's at the heart of what we need to think about from a technological perspective, which is how we make sure we've got the most diverse representative diverse um, elements in our, you know, if we're using training data sets, how do we make sure that we are constantly and consistently looking for ways to make sure we've got like the diversity of the populations of customers that we're serving end to end as we're developing products and services? What would you say are some of the best ways, best practice ways to roll new features out with all of that in mind? I think the idea of having, you know, representative customers at the heart of how you're developing your products is, a, you know, a, a great rubric to follow with the rise of more kind of continuous development and kind of you know rolling out of new and agile services. The idea is having customers very much involved in your user experience, in your design, in your interface and collaborating and integrating into that, I think, is is paramount. I also feel, you know, that the industry now is, you know, as we have more kind of rapid development practices, agile development and, and kind of increasing mechanisms to kind of do things like A-B testing, where you can kind of pilot two different mechanisms of, of getting a service to market and see which one resonates better. That gives you a great opportunity to get a broader set of user feedback. Um, and I think also kind of having the customer at the heart of, you know, how you're also implementing those security controls and testing through that and getting that feedback directly from the voice of the customer is is really helpful you know it's been very good to see the industry now kind of coalescing around things like you know the voice of the customer end-to-end customer experience you know customer advisory boards where you have kind of that representation from a broad population of your of your customer base that's a great way for just making sure that you have that constant and continuous feedback loop that allows you to you know really keep that customer centricity and make sure that you know whatever you're putting in from a security perspective isn't inhibiting the effectiveness and the efficiency and the attractiveness of your customer proposition but it's also kind of maintaining that inherent security and supporting them on their journey with your products and services. I mean we're all customers as well. Practically how should customers be adapting to new changes in their online life? You know should they you know in terms of like sticking to the old methods that are working for them already or is there any way that people can help themselves um, with you know some of these new security methods or educating themselves? can they stick to the old methods? I think the answer is is no. You know, I mean, the, the things have moved on so quickly. And it's funny, you know, sometimes like when I talk to my mum, you know, she'll say, oh yeah, but I have a password for this. And it's like, you know, you know, it's not enough to have a password anymore. Mom. Times have changed so much. And I think that idea of focusing on customers who may need that re-education and may need to be brought on the journey to see 
Why do we need these extra layers of security? Why do we need to change our behavior? You know, the why is very important to get across. Um, and I think, you know, the idea, there are some simple things that people can do, you know, absolutely to maintain security. And I would always say, you know, switch on multi-factor authentication wherever you can. It makes things so much more difficult for attackers and it's something so simple and straightforward. A lot of people still kind of view it a little bit as an inconvenience, but believe you me, it's far more convenient than than the alternative if, if something was to happen. Um, likewise, I think, you know, the idea of making sure that, you know, customers and, and all of us are, are using unique passwords, so using password managers if passwords are still are still needed, you know, that that is essential, right? So the amount of people who reuse passwords is pretty shocking. And you'll probably have seen for, the, you know, there's millions of accounts online, but actually when they do analyses, they find that there's oh, time and time again, they find very simple passwords that are reused. And of course, that's a dream for an attacker. For very little effort, they can cause a lot of damage. So again, that idea of using strong, unique passwords for everything is, is really imperative. And that is a shift, right? Because I think people are used to kind of the old world of I have one pin and, and I stick with that and that's enough. You know, that 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 messaging, I think, has, has really changed. Um, I think the other final piece, I think I would say that it's a simple, a simple kind of uh, practice to put in, in into our kind of everyday behavior but again it has a lot of impact it's just really to to kind of be mindful about not trusting messaging coming in over different channels we've seen increasingly sophisticated sms types of phishing attack you know email types of phishing again said using artificial intelligence you know i think the idea of you know anytime you're getting a request to send money or to kind of take action the idea of kind of just pausing and saying okay i'm going to validate this through a different mechanism if i got a text i'm not going to text them back i'm going to look at their phone number online and i'm going to call that number that's kind of registered to that company's account or if you get an email in you say actually you know what again i'm not replying by email i'm going to phone them or i'll use their online chat facility just breaking that pattern is very, very powerful way of making sure that customers can stay safe. Some absolutely brilliant practical advice there. Um, Bronwyn, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks a million for the discussion, Emma. I've so enjoyed it. Thanks again. Absolutely loved hearing Bronwyn's journey from classics to cybersecurity. Listening to her talk about some of the you know, really big threat vectors that we've got, you know, supply chain, ransomware, business email compromise. And the fact that, you know, something that's um, kind of at the heart of everything I do and identity is the perimeter of security nowadays. Things that organizations need to be thinking about in terms of putting users at the heart of the design, you know, thinking about making sure that we're developing security for diverse groups and really, you know, putting the voice of the customer doing A-B testing. That was really critical, I think, from what Brahman was saying. And what can we do individually to help ourselves and secure our own services? Multi-factor authentication and then using a password manager, making sure that you've got strong, unique passwords. And that brings us to the end of this Architects of Change episode brought to you by Mambu. Thank you to my brilliant guest, Bronwyn Boyle, Chief Information Security Officer at Mambu. If you'd like to delve more into her work, please head to mambu.com forward slash insights. For more Mambu podcasts, head to wherever you get your podcasts and don't forget to subscribe to our channel so you don't miss an episode. I've been your host, Emma Lindley. See you next time.